Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I ran for president because I believe we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. I still believe that to be true. Joe Biden has launched an assault on the soul of America. I was stunned at how divisive this speech was last night. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. 315,000 jobs created during the month of August. The labor participation force number going up as well. So that's a, that's a good way to enter the Labor Day weekend. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden calls MAGA a threat to democracy. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics this day after the primetime speech. We'll talk about the president's message to the nation with Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin and with our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, joined today by Republican analyst Boyd Matheson, former chief of staff to Senator Mike Lee. The August jobs report brings mostly smiles. Despite the way Wall Street finished the week, we'll get the view of the White House with Jared Bernstein of the Council of Economic Advisors. President Biden went straight after so-called MAGA Republicans in the speech from Independence Hall last night. Prime time. Warning the nation, as he said, that democracy is at risk. Here he is. I ran for president because I believe we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. I still believe that to be true. I believe the soul is the breath, the life, and the essence of who we are. And he called out the former president by name, as you hear. happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Before the speech, a pre-buttle if we can use that word, from minority leader Kevin McCarthy, as if he had already read the script, still upset as well about the president calling at this fundraiser last week, calling MAGA Republicans semi-fascists. Here's Kevin McCarthy. When the president speaks tonight at Independence Hall, the first lines out of his mouth should be to apologize for slandering tens of millions of Americans as fascists. And there was quite a bit of criticism from Republican corners this morning following the speech last night. That was the backdrop of my conversation today with Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia. Of course, one of the most prominent post-Trump Republicans to hit the national stage. And I started by asking him for his reaction to the speech and whether President Biden was right about this threat to democracy. 
I, I was stunned at how divisive this speech was. And, and at a time where people across America, and I know in Virginia, are worried about some of the most basic issues, rising inflation and trying to make ends meet, uh, crime, yeah. and oh, by the way, education challenges. And it's a time when, in fact, we've got to focus on these issues. And our president jumped out and uh, was incredibly divisive, trying to pit Americans against one another. And what we learned last year in Virginia is that it's these most important kitchen table concerns that when we bring when we bring common sense solutions to them, we can bring people mm-hmm. together. And when I won last year, uh, it wasn't Republicans against Democrats. We, we won the independent vote. We had lots of Democrats come with us. And at the end of the day, this is a time when we've got real issues, runaway inflation. I mean, let's be serious. We got, we've, we've got real challenges in inflation. We've got the Fed having to move aggressively in order to slow things down. And yep. uh, Jay Powell came out and said it's going to hurt. And, and yet we've got our president trying to divide the nation. And I just think it's time to put all that down and to focus on these most important kitchen table concerns that Americans yeah. and I know Virginians have. And we can address them with common sense solutions like we're doing in Virginia right now, getting taxes down, funding law enforcement and focusing on education. So you reject the president's message, but that was a stark warning from the president of the United States, Governor. Do you believe there are anti-democratic forces in the Republican Party? I, I, I believe that we have people who are searching for leadership. <laughs> and leadership comes, in a, it comes at a time when we need to be focused on these most important issues, not calling each other names and trying to divide the country. I mean, when we look at, when we look at what's happened over the course of the last couple years, we've seen our yeah. economy fall from having been a good one to a real challenged one, inflation running away, crime really challenged. We've got a crisis at the border. We've watched America actually really fall from the, national, from the international uh, scene in leadership. And I think Americans broadly recognize this. We can see it in the president's job approval ratings. Uh, he's got just terrible job approval ratings. And at a time when we're heading into the midterms, what do you do? You change the, you change the narrative. Well, let's go back and talk about the economy. Let's go back and talk about schools. Let's talk about crime. Let's talk about the border. And let's come up with real solutions to these most important issues. Let's not call each other names. A new poll from uh, Quinnipiac University, Governor, shows 70 percent of Americans, it was 67 percent to be exact, think democracy is in danger of collapse. When you see a number that big, do you worry that our institutions are under attack? Well, I, I just feel like that that entire poll question is is an odd one. I mean, America's democracy is not uh, going to collapse. Uh, we are we have seen tough times historically where we've worked through it. This is the most amazing form of government ever envisioned. America is the best country in the world, and we're going to work our th- our way through this. But what it requires is leaders to focus on solutions to those most important challenges for Virginians and for Americans. Again, not calling each other names, not trying to divide us further, but providing a place like we did in Virginia last year for people to come together. And you know what we've done is we've delivered on what we promised and people are happy. And uh, and I think that's what America needs right now is is, is, is a leader. And our president should step up and put the rhetoric down and focused on solutions to these to these kitchen table concerns. Well, speaking of calling names, Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader in the House, says that President Biden should apologize to Republicans for referring to MAGA Republicans as semi-fascists. Do you believe the president owes Americans an apology? 
I do. I do. I, I, again, I just think the day of name-calling should be pressed down at a time when we're searching for leadership. And yeah. America needs, needs to lead again, needs to lead again. And this is a chance on, on the international stage and at home for us to recognize that leadership is not a moment to divide. It's a time to bring together. Governor Yunkin, it was widely noted that Donald Trump supported your candidacy, which was amazingly less than a year ago at this point, but you never appeared on stage with him. Did you create the recipe for Republicans to win in 22 and 24? Well, our campaign was focused on Virginia and we campaigned as Virginians. I'm homegrown. Uh, I care deeply about the Commonwealth of Virginia and the issues that we ran on, on, on crime, on education, on cost of living, on a government that needs to work for us, uh, on protecting our constitutional rights. These are issues that Virginians embraced. And uh, I wanted to make sure that they knew that they had someone running for governor and then serving them as governor focused on them. I do believe that, that, the, that candidates across the nation, Republican governors running, need to focus mm -hmm. on these issues because these are the issues that voters are most concerned about. And that's why I'm, I'm excited to have some time, uh, not a lot, because I'm very busy here, to support some candidates around the country who I think are in circumstances much like I was in Virginia last year, where there's, Republic, there's Republican candidates who can take over a state that's been run by Democrats and the states have not been performing well, just like mm -hmm. Virginia was not performing well, and they can turn it around. And so I think it's a chance for Republican governors to do what Republican governors have been doing, which is yeah. leading. Well, let's talk about the economy for a moment, uh, Governor. We got the jobs report better than expected. The unemployment rate in Virginia is even lower than the national average at 2.7%. Do you believe it's possible to lower inflation without damaging the job market we have right now? I think this is a real challenge, and it's one that we are focused on in Virginia every single day. And mm -hmm. the key to this is getting people back into the job market. You know, Virginia had labor, had labor participation of about 67% prior to the pandemic. And uh, we were ranked 47th in the nation in job recovery coming out of the pandemic. And so we've been very focused on getting people back into the job market. Um, and since January, we've seen 100,000 more jobs taken by Virginians. And that's the fastest growth Virginia's seen uh, in memory. And in fact, we're now ranked in the top 15 in job recovery. Um, but at the end of the day, the key here is the strength of that labor market. And I do have concerns that, that as the Federal Reserve takes its actions and real concerns about economic yeah. growth uh, uh, manifest themselves into boardrooms and, oh, by the way, into families, uh, that we're going to see this labor participation number stall and employment stall. That's why we're working so hard in Virginia in order to bring regulations down, invite new businesses in, and grow the job market. And yeah. when companies like Boeing and Raytheon come to Virginia and Lego comes to Virginia and Drone Up, who's here, and Hilton's who's here grow. It's great mm -hmm. for Virginians, but we're continuing to work to keep confidence high that we can, meet, we, we can navigate through the headwinds that I think the national economic picture, which has been caused by bad policies, has created. Well, you've obviously got a good story to tell in Virginia, but you come from the business world, Governor, famously at Carlisle. And I wonder, with your background, are you more worried about inflation today or a Fed-induced recession? Well, they go hand in hand. <laughs> And it is the inflation that was caused by unbridled spending at the federal government um, that is forcing the Fed to take these actions. 
Yeah. And, uh, and as a result, they go hand in hand. And if we, of course, didn't have inflation, we wouldn't have the Fed doing what they're doing. So it sounds like you're more what, concerned what, about what, a recession at this stage. Oh, I am. I'm, I, I am concerned about economic slowdown. Uh, and the anecdote to that is jobs and labor participation. And in order to have jobs and labor participation, we've got to keep confidence high in the business community. And we know that. And so I've been encouraged by the confidence that Virginia businesses have been showing in expanding yeah. and adding to their labor force. And I think that's the partnership that we've created in Virginia. Governor Glenn Youngkin, Republican from the Commonwealth, just across the Potomac here from the nation's capital. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. And we're going to have a lot more on the jobs report specifically a little bit later on this hour through the eyes of the White House as we discuss the numbers and the trends with Jared Bernstein of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. But we're going to get back to the speech last night and where we started, what we also heard from Glenn Youngkin, his take on this as we play it against the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano is up next, along with Boyd Matheson, former chief of staff of Senator Mike Lee. We'll get the view from both sides on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. It did feel like a campaign-style event last night, right? With all of the trappings, the, the optics that clearly were well thought out, and the primetime nature of the address, President Biden... Sticking largely to scripts, although he did have a couple of moments where he stepped off the the teleprompter as people were shouting from across the street. Uh, a couple of reactions there, as you saw in what was a roughly half an hour it was about 25 minute long speech, just about as predicted. It lets you know he did stand uh, or stick to the script. 
so the big knock today was, you know, that this was a political attack. Republicans say you just heard Glenn Youngkin, you know, the fiery rhetoric, the destructive rhetoric and so forth. The reaction to that from the White House, Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary. Standing up for democracy is not political. Denouncing political violence is not political. Defending rights uh, and freedom is not political. And so on and so forth as we assemble the panel. She had a longer answer than that, actually. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Chanzano is here, along with Boyd Matheson, former chief of staff for Senator Mike Lee, Republican analyst. The panel, Jeannie, uh, we talked a lot about this speech going into it. Were you surprised by the reaction today? You know, I was not surprised by the reaction. I do think the criticism about the political nature of the speech, or we should say the campaign nature, because everything a president does is going to be political. I think that is very real when you're looking at two Marines behind the president. That is fair criticism. And I think the White House is trying to push back on that, but they're going to be hit on that. But I also think from a political perspective, Joe Biden, who can no longer be referred to as Sleepy Joe, I guess, because he's anything but sleepy on this issue. (laughs) He is wide awake. Um, You know, he was doing exactly what Democrats wanted to do. He is taking to trolling Donald Trump. And it worked because Donald Trump is coming out. He's going to be in Pennsylvania tomorrow. And Mm -hmm. the more Trump is out, the better for Democrats. And that really is the political strategy here. I think Biden is right on the substance about violence. I think there's a hypocrisy there as well. But I do think politically he did what he needed to do last night. And he is open to the criticism because the more Trump is in the news and people like McCarthy defending him, the better off for Democrats. And Democrats know that. Well, Jeannie, you know, the criticism in advance from Democrats was that, hey, he's not out there talking about his legislative accomplishments. Here he goes on the soul of the nation and calling out MAGA. But he did actually. Uh, the, the speech lent itself quite a bit to the accomplishments that have been had. He kind of creatively walked through them, whether it was uh, the burn pits legislation, inflation. I mean, he had it all in there at one point or another. The CHIPS Act talking about competition and uh, as as the, the Democratic strategist with us today do you see that as a win or or was that part not heard you know i'm not sure that part was heard you're right it was almost like you know two to three speeches in one and one Mm -hmm. part of it was him celebrating his accomplishments and right he should but of course in this media environment what got the attention was the attacks if you will on MAGA Republicans, and that's not a big surprise. So I think he put that in there. He tried to talk about his accomplishments. It's not going to get this kind of attention that it really deserves. But the point of the speech was not that. The point of the speech was to say this election coming up in 10 weeks is a choice between normalcy and extremism. If you vote for Republicans who want to look back at 2020, you're voting for Trump, you're voting for extremism. And so he is issuing a warning shot across the bow. What I wish he had also did was called out Democrats who were supporting those very same MAGA Mm -hmm. candidates, because that's where the hypocrisy comes in. Boyd Matheson, uh, the president tried to draw the line between MAGA Republicans and so-called mainstream Republicans. It's getting difficult with the labels around here. Do you tell uh, a difference? Do you draw that line yourself for your own party? Yeah, I think the the biggest challenge for the president was he was he was kind of blocking everybody. He was saying he was about uniting everyone under red, white, and blue, and yet he just continued to to break it down. Of well, you're a, a MAGA, you're an extreme MAGA, you're a regular Republican, you're an okay Republican, not a horrible Republican. You're one of the eighty million people who voted for me. You're on the good side. And so there was a lot of division within that that I, I just don't think played well. 
Uh, and I think to Jeannie's point, I, I, I think the misses for the president, and he had some lines in there that were very good. I, I loved his line about, I ran for president uh, mm-hmm. on this battle for the soul of the nation, although I don't think the soul of the nation is dependent on who wins elections or who's in Congress or the Oval Office. Uh, but this speech, he, he really went down this path of, hey, we are going to divide all of this up. And to me, the sad part was, this was a an address to the nation. And to me, that's a different thing. That's a sacred thing. I haven't missed an address to the nation from any president of either party in the last 40 years mm-hmm. because they matter. This was taxpayer-funded, addressed to the nation, and it was a campaign event, uh, as Jeannie pointed out. Uh, and I think that's the myth. The fact that the main networks read the speech and said, we won't cover it, yeah. uh, sent a, a real message there as well. Uh, and, what do you make of that, Jeannie? That's actually a, it's a great point, Boyd, that the the three-letter networks didn't carry it last night. At one point, they were expected to. Is, is that a meaningful rejection for this White House? You know, I think it is. And I and I happen to agree with Boyd on that. And what I think was the miss is, yes, there is no place in American politics or government or any government for violence. And that is an important. It's a fair point. That's why Joe Biden said he ran for office. But the fact is, you've got to call it out on both sides. Yep. And I think the miss here yeah. is to be seen as a leader. It requires criticizing your own as much as the other side. Otherwise, it's a political speech made in a political environment. And, you know, another criticism is it came in the context of no events. So what had precipitated this speech is unclear, and that makes it seem very political 10 weeks before the election. Boyd Mathis and Jeannie Shanzano, our panel for this Friday on the fastest hour in politics. It's going by too fast. We'll bring him back after we check in with the White House on the jobs report next. With the jobs report in mind, that was the big driver for news today. Now that we have moved beyond the speech, 315,000, that's more than we expected, right? And of course, as I mentioned, and you've been hearing from Charlie throughout the day, Charlie Pellet, that is, that under the hood, things look pretty good uh, with regard to labor force participation, especially Marty Walsh, the labor secretary, was very pleased about that this morning. And yet the markets finished lower. But somehow got a jobs report that, you know, made both the Fed and the White House happy. And I talked about it earlier with Jared Bernstein of the Council of Economic Advisors at the White House. He joined us uh, from the White House where he has the ear of the president on economic policy. And every data point like this, particularly the monthly jobs report, goes a long way to informing their advice. Jared Bernstein uh, joins us with his first blush reaction. It's a very good news report, no question. You don't have to even go too far under the hood uh, to figure that out. Now, look, it's one month. We uh, never make too big big a deal out of a one-month report. We like to look at the trends. But when we talked, I remember saying to you, one of the things I look at first is labor force participation. It's just so important now. We know employers have talked about needing more workers to come in to meet some of those 11 million open vacancies right now. Yeah. And of course, the Federal Reserve likes to see that as well. It's uh, potentially disinflationary. So that increase, that pop of, uh, of uh, 30 basis points on the LFPR, very welcome. Uh, stronger for uh, prime age workers, by the way, which is uh, also a good indicator. With regard to labor uh, participation here, there are famously two openings for every person looking for a job in this country. We've been waiting for uh, a more pronounced return to work since COVID. So what is it? Is it kids going back to school? Is it inflation that's causing more people to seek a paycheck? What's your take? Yeah, great question. So we, we, we know that uh, the uh, the pop that we got 
on labor force participation was a little stronger for women, particularly uh, prime age women in their working years. And uh, one one perfectly legitimate hypothesis is that that does have to do with school reopening. Uh, look, one of the long term agendas of the uh, of the Biden administration is to finally stand up a more affordable and accessible uh, care sector for child care and elder care. And you maybe get an inkling as to how important that is. But one thing I noted when I again, when I got into the data and looked at the flows data, meaning how how labor uh, market participants are flowing between different states in the job market, mm-hmm. over half a million people in August moved from out of the labor market to into the labor market, which is exactly the flow we need. Again, mm-hmm. one month. Don't want to overemphasize it, but that's what we need to see more of. This is a delicate balance uh, we're talking about right now, uh, Jared Bernstein. How can you keep this momentum when the Fed is hiking interest rates? And I'm not asking you to comment on Fed policy, but we heard Jay Powell warn that, that, that we need softness in the labor market to beat inflation. Is that the choice we're facing? Well, I think what you're really referring to here is a soft landing versus a hard landing. And obviously, uh, you know, the Fed is trying to track towards soft. I think one of the things that is so important in this regard is to uh, see occur what the president actually talked about a few months ago in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. He he said we need to move from the breakneck pace of growth that characterized 2021 when shots in arms and checks in pockets made such a difference to standing up the the strong labor market we're now enjoying. Uh, We need that to slow to a more steady and stable pace. If you kind of look at the flow chart, and by the way, our friends that uh, the folks I know you talk to at Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. uh, often look at this very flow chart that kind of goes from slower GDP growth, uh, that is moving from well above trend to something closer to trend or a bit below trend, to uh, slower job growth, to slower wage growth, to slower price growth. You know, that's kind of a flow chart that uh, a Fed watcher might want to be paying attention to. Uh, one of the things we see here in August is the job market cooling in a way that we believe is very consistent with the president's view of moving from breakneck pace to more steady, stable growth. I guess another way of asking that would be, you know, is this is this a valley of good economic news now ahead of what we know is going to be a tough winter? Energy costs rise, that starts to push inflation back up again. Mm. Well, look, I mean, I was going to say my crystal ball is just as cracked as anybody else's right now. So I think looking looking around corners is awfully hard. I will Understood. say the following. We, we have a decline in gas prices, and I think yeah. that that's a, a really important backdrop to everything we've been talking about. We have pretty strong consumer balance sheets. We have obviously got a... Uh, uh, an historically uh, stellar labor market. I think all of those create momentum. Now, look, if there's some unforeseen circumstance that's going to jam the price of oil, uh, obviously that's uh, that's going to be problematic. But again, looking at the momentum we have, our job as White House economists is uh, keep our heads down steady as we go, implement the policies that the president has managed to legislate to help invest in this future economy and keep these trends going. Knowing this delicate balance exists then and the challenges we could face next year, does that mean the White House and Congress hold off on economic outlays following the, 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 the student loan, uh, the debt forgiveness plan, and just let the Fed fix the inflation question? Well, certainly uh, when you hear the president uh, tick off his three-tiered plan for fighting inflation, tier one is an independent Fed that does what it needs to do. Tier two are policies to help address uh, costs that uh, uh, consumers face, whether it's student debt costs or the cost of health care. We've obviously yeah. moved on all of those. 
And uh, part three is deficit reduction, and that kind of gets to your point a second ago. Mm-hmm. We're on track for historical deficit reduction, and we mean to stay on that track, and I'm confident that we will. Well over a trillion dollars of deficit reduction uh, in this fiscal year. That's a kind of negative fiscal impulse that very much complements the Fed's mm-hmm. negative monetary impulse. Thanks to Jared Bernstein of the White House Council of Economic Advisors for the deep dive there, one that you will only hear on Bloomberg, of course. As I look to the terminal and see, gosh, go figure, too. A bit of pessimism here from former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers. The headline, Summers discounts rise in labor force, as we were just discussing with Jared. Former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers discounting any optimism over an influx of people in the U.S. labor force in August, focusing instead on the inflationary potential of continued strong employment gains. There's always two ways to look at the data. A tendency, he says, to exaggerate how much higher participation will reduce inflation. We'll get the panel's take on this and whether this was a good news Friday for the White House. Jeannie Shanzano is up with us next in the panel today, along with Boyd Matheson. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Welcome to Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. And Larry Summers pours cold water on the jobs report everyone was so excited about this morning. It did seem like good news Uh, To most people looking at this, we analyzed it earlier with Michael McKee at Bloomberg. Higher than expected on the top line, more jobs than predicted, more people looking for work. And the assumption that we just talked about with uh, Jared Bernstein is that, you know, more people looking for work would help to ease inflationary pressures 
in the labor market. Not so, says the former Treasury Secretary in an exclusive interview with Bloomberg speaking, in fact, on Bloomberg's Wall Street Week. He says no more pain is going to be necessary. I'd be surprised if we get to the six percent, get to the two percent inflation target without an unemployment rate uh, that approaches or exceeds six uh, percent. An unemployment. So we're at three point seven today. That means we've got a ways to go. Let's reassemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, along with Republican analyst Boyd Matheson. So, uh, Jeannie, 6% or higher, that's going to happen before the 2024 election. How does that change the conversation about the economy and Democrats, specifically, though, this Biden administration? Yeah, it's certainly not what the Biden administration wants to hear. But, you know, I'm looking at the terminal as well. And and Larry Summers makes a really good point. We think he says we think extra labor supply, but we forget the more people employed, the more incomes increase and the more spending and the more inflation. I mean, the logic of his argument is really, really important to pay attention to. And so I think he's it's a message we have to listen to. And when we heard the president come out today, he said, maybe, maybe. And I think that was the watchword of the day. Mm -hmm. He's seeing some positive signs, but I think even Joe Biden has learned that he's got to be cautious because if Summers is right, there's a lot more pain ahead before we get to a point where inflation slows. If that happens, though, that means they, I mean, assuming in this scenario, you've got 6% unemployment and inflation is licked. So what's more important, Boyd? You know, people say, hey, look, prices are down at least but my neighbor doesn't have a job that doesn't sound like an improvement yeah those are both tough messages i think for uh, either political party to really deal with the president of course has got to walk that very fine line as Jeannie pointed out uh, not being overly optimistic uh, knowing that some of this pain is is still coming i think there's also some underlying things that are going to be really interesting especially moving into 2024 one of the most interesting to me is the fact that you've got for every uh, one person, one man, man mm-hmm. in that 25 to 54 category seeking employment, you've got four that aren't even looking at all. You've got six million prime age men who aren't working or looking for work. And they're also not being active in civil society. They're not volunteering. They're not worshiping. They're not giving to charity. They're watching mm-hmm. things in front of screens. They're dealing with pain medications as a common thread there. And so I think there's a societal component to this that's also going to play into the politics of 2024. To your point, Joe, if my neighbor's out of work, I feel that one way. If I'm paying higher prices at the gas pump, I'm feeling it. This is an area where I think it's going to impact society. Uh, It impacts single parents, especially single mothers, and the load that they carry. Uh, So I think there's a lot of things beneath the headline numbers that we've got to get to uh, when we're looking at this. There's also still this question, Jeannie, about why people are coming back to work. You know, we spent... All of COVID saying, okay, once, uh, you know, the students go back to school and once Labor Day hits and it still hasn't quite clicked, but now we're starting to see it. And if the reason is inflation, we also, by the way, saw a big jump in people seeking part time work. If the reason is, you know what, I I can't afford to fill the gas tank here. I need a little bit of relief, as the president likes to say. That's that's actually not a good trend. No, it's not. And, you know, one number to look at is consumer sentiment. And while that is still really low by, you know, historical standards, the Mm -hmm. trajectory is going in the right direction, just like the presidential approval rating. But I think to your and to Boyd's point, 
you know, when you get to sentiment indexes, I think that tells you an awful lot because it tells you not just about the people who are actively looking for work and whether they're looking full or yeah. part time, but what consumers are thinking as they approach the economy overall. And that is up a little bit, but still historically low, which is and remains a problem for Democrats as they go into this election. Well, it's something to consider today, though. What about the news today? Uh, Boyd, you can't really put too much of a negative spin on this. The White House wanted to get out there and talk about it. The jobs since pre-COVID have been recovered and a 3.7 percent unemployment rate might actually be what saves us from a recession. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I, I, the, the president's absolutely right in, in going out and, and touting the numbers there. You can't say that that's just a, a bad thing. It's good. I think the biggest challenge is the communication strategy, because if you're touting the success of what's going well, but the American people are feeling or experiencing something different, it creates a really unique disconnect. And I think that's going to be the challenge for the president. It has been over the last year, him touting some things that actually are good that everybody should celebrate. But the American people saying, that's not what I'm feeling or that's not what my neighbor is experiencing. And so that's the balancing act. The numbers are good and, and we should all celebrate good numbers. We want that for the country. We want that for our, our communities and our neighbors. Uh, getting that in alignment uh, from a messaging standpoint is tricky. Well, I'll tell you what, it's Labor Day weekend, uh, Jeannie, and this administration is one that has embraced labor, has embraced organized labor, has made the Secretary Marty Walsh, uh, you know, one of the bright lights of the administration in terms of, you know, doing media and getting him out there with with his messaging. And the president's going to be marching in a Labor Day parade, by the way, with John Fetterman on Monday in Pittsburgh. The head of the AFL-CIO, who I spoke with earlier this week, is also going to be there. Does the sort of uh, resurgence of interest in organized labor at places like Amazon and Trader Joe's and uh, in other Starbucks, other big chains like that, is that also a winning message for Democrats? It is. And and this is something that I don't think the Democratic Party has embraced enough. And, and we've heard this to a certain extent, but it's the not. The president's been, been pretty full throated. He has. And he is, you know, somebody who can really bring this to the forefront. And this is the idea of the dignity of the American worker, which is sort of the theme that we understand he's going to go out with on Labor Day. Hmm. And that is critically important because it fits right in. You know, you have to be paid what your work is worth. You you're, you have to be respected. You have to have health care. All of the things that Democrats believe in. So I do think it is critically important and it is a winning message, particularly in these areas that Democrats want to win in. The Rust Belt that, quite frankly, Donald Trump did much better than expected in 2016 yeah, right. and really, you know, blew away some Democrats who didn't expect Republicans could play there. He showed they can. They're trying desperately to get those back. And Ohio is a really good example of that as is Pennsylvania, where the you, president will be. Do you see that organizing trend as as a real one, uh, Boyd, as opposed to, you know, kind of a media narrative? We've also seen these same chains that I mentioned, Starbucks, Amazon, and so on, close a lot of stores where uh, there was an organizing effort beginning to happen. Yeah, I, I think the I think the organizing message is, is, the, is the right message. I think they're doing that in a way. I think they're doing that effectively in terms of, uh, hey, this this does matter. As Jeannie said, the dignity of work, the dignity of the worker. Uh, I think all of those are are good, strong messages. Most of these things, however, have been very local. Uh, that you know, even the Amazon was that was a local union right. doing yep. that. Uh, 
and and that's a, and that's actually a really interesting thing. I, I actually support that. I think that's a great thing that on a very local level, as opposed to where I think some of the distrust is, which is in the big national uh, labor organizations, where there's much more likelihood to have some, uh, you know, some waste and fraud, some abuse, or, or you know, whatever it may be. It's just a big organization. I think people feeling it close to home. I think that's a good message, and I think it's an important part of the labor market. Labor is going to have a say in this election, of course, uh, Jeannie, as well. Liz Schuler, uh, again, from the AFL-CIO, told us they have very specific plans to have 90 percent of members registered to vote and 10 percent of their local members are going to be trained to be uh, poll watchers for what they described as possible Republican shenanigans. Uh, I don't know what that even really means. I, I tried to have her define that, but uh, I mean, what? What kind of an image is that for the union in 2020? It's important. You know, you had mentioned in your interview uh, with the governor earlier, you had mentioned some of these statistics about how many Americans are concerned, concerned rather, about threats to democracy. You know, a CBS News poll found seven out of 10 Americans concerned, and this is both from the left and the right, that democracy is in danger, rule of law is in danger, our elections are threatened. And so when you're talking about poll workers and people trained to go in as poll watchers, if you will, yeah. That is an effort to address some of that concern and concern rather. And I think that's critically important at this time. The more Americans engaged in our political process, the better, particularly at a time when so many poll workers are feeling under threat that they don't even want to go to work anymore. I think it's important that the unions and I think every organization, civic organizations overall, should support an increase in poll workers and poll watchers. And that includes, by the way, people in my line of work, mm-hmm. faculty working with young people who should yeah. be engaged in poll watching and poll work. It's critically important service to the country. I just hope people stay safe, Boyd. More, you know, the more people start showing up at the polls with the idea of looking for wrongdoing, somebody's going to find something that may not necessarily be worth talking about. Yeah, and it just to Jeannie's point that it's all about having that trust and being engaged. Everybody's got to be yeah. engaged regardless of their line of work. Uh, we've we've stress tested this democracy of ours under all kinds of situations: world war, famines, and uh, economic collapse, and all of that. We've never stress tested it in the absence of trust, yeah. especially in our right. institutions, because that phrase. Well, we're getting we close on some days. Boyd, thanks for being here. Boyd Mathis and Jeannie Shanzano, great conversation and a great panel for our Friday as we head into the weekend. Be sure to stay with Bloomberg tomorrow for the Artemis launch. They're going forward again. I can't wait to watch this thing go up. And I'll meet you back here after what I hope for you is a long weekend. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.